Courthouse Media in Chicago, Illinois. This is The Ed Couple, an open, independent conversation about the world of education as seen through the eyes of leaders and reformers in the field. Your hosts are James Gray and Nate Petrini. Welcome to The Ed Couple. I'm Nate Petrini. And I'm James Gray. Nate, there's no guest today. I we're, was I in charge of booking a guest? Yeah, no, well, I'm not sure, but we're running out of people to talk to. But we decided to talk to each other. That's I think that's a great idea. You're you're a fun person to talk to, James. Uh, thank uh, you. There's a lot happening in the world in uh, Chicago education. Yeah, this month or so. Yeah, yeah. It, it is some great news, some big announcements. Um, it also, I think today is SAT day. It Kids is. all over the city uh, took the SAT. I saw a tweet from a principal I won't name. He had a bunch of donuts for kids. I saw that. That's not healthy. I don't think so. Um, I, I, did I ever tell you the story about when I went to take the ACT on a Saturday morning and Saturday morning and I was not a breakfast person and my mom made me like the biggest breakfast ever totally threw me off. <laughs> I had to go to the bathroom the whole time. I was like sweating. Did, did you retake it or was yeah, it I retook it and I did much better the second time. No breakfast. Because you had the test with the proctor that your no mom and dad arranged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only cost them $50,000. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, how you been, James? Great. Great. Yeah. Life's good. Good, good. Spring's here and uh, spring break next week. It's exciting and school's almost over. Ten more weeks or so and yeah, got the kids all summer. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's something to look forward to. Um, so, James, what uh, we thought we'd do today is catch up on a couple of things Chicago-related. Number one, just last week, Chicago Public Schools released uh, the vision for the next five years of the district. So we thought maybe we would take that actual plan. If you've not seen it yet, folks, I recommend you download it and, and take a, a glance through it. It's called the CPS Five-Year Vision. You can find it online. Uh, and then maybe we would talk about some things we've seen in the news lately that are local, not so local, and... Um, opine on them a little bit since you forgot to book a guest Sounds for good. tonight. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> so um, first off, uh, if you haven't seen the plan, again, um, it it seems standard in the, the pillars that it approaches, but where it's sort of different is that uh, we get a really good look at some of the numeric goals that CPS is setting for themselves, a really good reflection on where we've been the last seven to 10 years and some really thoughtful narratives on why these goals matter and, and what we think progress towards them is going to look like, right? Yes. First of all, the plan, uh, it's, it's long, 44 pages, I think. Um, page There's, seven lists CPS at a glance. So it's interesting. The the years they chose were uh, since 2011, which is when Mary Emanuel took office. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So and the district, as we all know, in Chicago has certainly made lots of progress with Student outcomes, freshman on track rate went from 69% to 89.4%, graduation rate 56.9% when the mayor took over to 78.2%, although some would question that number um, based on some WBs reporting about um, option schools. Um, Early college and career credentials, uh, 31.2% to 46.6%. And then uh, MAP testing. So that's third through eighth grade. Uh, well, second through eighth. This is for third through eighth grade. 61.4% uh, in reading uh, met their 50 percentile or better. Yeah. That was 45.6 five years ago when the test Huge started. Huge gain, yeah. And then uh, math, 45.1 to 56.6. So lots of improvement on student outcomes yeah. uh, across the board. Absolutely. Um 
and some things that we'll talk about in a little while for sure that they they need to move the needle on but obviously a lot of things to be very 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 proud of james right yeah it does not list the enrollment decline so it just lists the number of kids in cps right now 361,000 i think that's down from over 400,000 mm-hmm. uh, when mary manuel uh, took over and of course we're not blaming him for that but that's been the demographic decline in chicago particularly uh, african american yeah uh, families yeah have left chicago yeah so uh this plan as james said 44 pages i cannot find the cliff notes version <laughs> so james and i had to actually read all 44 pages and so what we thought we would do today is that james you share with me some specifics that you liked in this plan some goals um or things that, and then after that maybe some things you have questions about or concerns i'll do the same and we can uh we can chat about them a little bit sound good sounds great so you know, any good plan, I think, has really audacious goals, and this plan certainly has audacious goals. Um, so by the end of the five years, uh, the goal is to have a graduation rate of 90%. Mm. Uh, elementary attainment rate, uh, which you just mentioned, is like 56 or 61, depending on its reading or math. They want that to be 70%. Um, so they've made some really lofty goals. Yeah. And... You know, we'll talk more about their steps to get there, but I like that it wasn't incremental growth. Yeah. This is really serious growth, and I, of course, I think a graduation rate is the thing uh, that has to be front and center. Yeah. So, and, and to put that in context, like James said earlier, just eight years ago, there were fifty-six percent um, statewide is also under ninety percent um, as a district. So, and some of our higher performing schools in the district are just barely over 90%. So for the whole district to get up there would be would be a, a really big lift over these next five years. Um, but I think, is a, like you said, James, is an ambitious and an important goal. Other goals, um, interesting, 100% of schools will earn the supportive school dis- distinction. So that's social-emotional work. Um, Talk about that, James. Well, it, there's a, a rubric. This kind of came out after I left the principalship, I believe, or I just wasn't on board with it. I didn't didn't mm-hmm. um, try to attain the certification, but you have your teachers have to have certain trainings. You have to offer certain things in your school for children, um, whether it's universal curriculums, tiered interventions, etc. And um, you know it, it's it's the right thing for kids, um, mm-hmm. but it's a big lift for schools, particularly larger schools, to implement. So they want 100 percent of schools to be certified. Um, there's a safe school certification. Yeah. hundred uh, percent of schools will be certified healthy school certification. So those donuts I saw earlier, that um, would be a, a knock. Yeah. They'd be 99%. Don't, don't beat that out. <laughs> and interestingly, suspensions and expulsions will continue to decline by 10% annually. Whoa. That's incredible. 10% annually due to the use of restorative practices. Mm. So, um, really big goals. I think a plan needs that. And I'm glad to see yeah. um, such high numbers. Yeah, hoping that we get um, progress reports every year on those explicitly stated goals and um, hear a little bit about sort of how you're going to make things like that happen. Um, it'll be challenging to ensure that. I mean, just imagine the like, what'd you say, James? The creative schools, the the supportive schools, all these practices that your whole school needs to get trained on that. You need to have a common understanding from parents to students to teachers on so ensuring that 100% of schools are doing all of that regularly, annually. That's tough. It is. Yeah. It's, you know, it's 
every school is very different and uh, it's going to be a lot of work for principals and teachers to, to meet those, yeah, those goals. Um, other things I like for the plan, um, continue to talk about academic progress, safety and support. It does mention, um, it says ensure that youth of all sexual and gender orientations are safe and supported. Mm. So, um, working with schools to increase their understanding of, um, uh, sexual and gender orientation. You know, a lot of schools are already on board with that. Uh, it says, as of 2018, over 50 schools had established a gender and sexuality alliance club. Um, it talks about um, safe school badges that teachers wear yeah. on their on their door. Um, things that I, I did to do at Hamilton. Um, and at elementary school, it's probably, although there are certainly children sure. um, struggling with their sexuality. Uh, in, in elementary schools, more of a deal, big deal in high schools. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad that's also in the plan and not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I liked a lot was these things called opportunity schools. So I know a principal yeah. at an opportunity school. These are schools that are, you know, you, there's I think 50 of them that are hard to recruit teachers mm-hmm. and retain teachers. So they have uh, people working with them from the talent office. Uh, to send them a pipeline of, of candidates. They can do early offers, I believe, for candidates. And, of course, if you're a, a college grad, you're going to jump on any offer you, <laughs> you get really soon. Um, and the principal I spoke to said that this program has been really beneficial to her school. Yeah. Has helped her uh, attract uh you know, a good crop of, of teacher candidates and there's no obligation to hire anybody, but you know, you just get that pipeline. You know, you know our principals on the North side of Chicago. If you had a third grade opening, how many resumes would you receive? I mean, I, I wouldn't even know because most of them would just get filed away. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I would know how many when hundreds. I, hundreds. Yeah. Like if today was the day I felt like reading resumes, I'd read the last 25 that came in. Right. So it was more about like, if your resume was read and understood, it was more about, did it come in on the right day? Yeah. Right. That was the advantage we had as principals. Yeah. Same for me. There are schools that get, you know, a handful yeah. of applications just for a gen ed position. And then imagine a special ed PE. That are hard to staff anywhere. Math and science. Right. Hard, hard at uh, any school in the city, particularly hard at, you know, schools, uh, these 50 schools. So that's exciting to see that. I'm yeah. wondering how that's going to grow. So I think you know more about the opportunity schools than I do. Do you know what it takes to be labeled an opportunity school? And is this list public? Great question. I'm not I trying to quiz I, you. I yeah, just, I don't know if it's public. Yeah. Um, I think they looked at the um, teacher turnover rate yeah. to determine the schools. They've got some numbers here. It says since 2016, we have reduced teacher vacancy rates at the schools by a third and raised new teacher retention by 10%. Wow. However, teacher turnover and vacancy rates are still about twice the district average. Turnover and vacancy at the opportunity rates schools? Yes, are still twice wow. the district average. Wow. Okay. By school year 2023-24, we will double the number of opportunity schools to 100 and further decrease their vacancy and turnover rates so they equal the district average. Yeah. And and the reason I ask is because I, I assume this concept of opportunity schools is going to dovetail with other things that we'll talk about in this conversation and with just about every part of this plan where, you know, if you have not yet seen the image on this packet, it's, it's an apple um, that 
is divided up into three sections. I talk about the three domains of this program, but it's circled in the word equity, right? Follows the border of, of this plan is the word equities in sort of everything. And, um, I just wonder how they're going to identify the schools that regularly need these equity investments that they talk about all throughout the plan. Are they these opportunity schools or are they anybody who might be struggling in one specific way to bring equity to their school? So I'm curious to hear more about these 50. That's a great question. You know, you wonder, um, it does mention the, the equity. Marie Sweeney, who was a, a guest on our show a couple of years ago, is the new director of... Um, yeah, the, the chief equity officer. Chief, chief equity officer. And he's doing – there's there'll be a report coming out soon, mm-hmm. I think maybe in the summer or fall, um, from his initial findings after talking to probably thousands of people yep. across the district. But that's the big question. In a, in a district where, boy, 90% of students are minorities. Yeah, and almost 80% are low income. What does equity – what does it mean? Yeah. Right. You know, how, how do you how do you define it and what does it mean? Yeah, because you can always every school needs to be thinking about the most vulnerable students in their building or the varying needs of of different demographic groups. Um, the thing that sort of like tugs at me most would be, and, and I'm just using this number because we use it for the opportunity schools. But like, what are the 50 schools in this district that if every caring parent, teacher, principal were to walk in, what are the 50 schools that they would say, like, this school needs us to invest in them more, right? What are, what are those 50? And let's have a comprehensive plan for those 50. Not a turn, not a turnaround or anything like that, but that's, to me, needs to be one of the priorities of, of the district when it comes to equity. And, um, you know, maybe that's the direction they're going with these opportunity schools. I tried to Google it just now, and of course, the CPS website is down today. I'm it sure was down all that. day today. Yeah, uh-huh. there's no internet at all in CPS today, so a lot more work was done. I probably. actually had a conference call with someone at Central <laughs> Office today, and he was like, "Let me just pull that up for you." Oh, never mind. Yeah, a lot of hotspots working. Get it fixed, guys. Yeah. So, um, what? Uh, so, James. So, the two things you really liked about this plan was some really good audacious goals. Um, teacher recruitment and retention at high needs schools and, and something you didn't point out too about that teacher recruitment is they are they have a numerical goal for recruiting more teachers of color they do. Um, and they even um, are trying to develop a pipeline of cps graduates to go into teaching at cps also um diversity of district leadership they want to increase the the diversity of district leadership right so yeah it's uh equity is really Throughout this plan, and you know, Dr. Jackson circles the apple. That's right. Dr. Jackson's talked a lot about it. Yeah, as has a lot of people has have a lot of people in the district, and uh, to me, it's clear in the plan they've thought about these things a lot already. How it in practice, what happens, that remains to be seen. Yeah, but Um, James, what are your big remaining questions that uh, either you saw in this plan that you feel like? just needs more flesh on it or things that you feel like the district needs to address that didn't make the plan. Well, you think about these big goals. Yeah. So high school graduation, 90%. What has to happen, Nate, for that to happen? What <sighs> At its core. Yeah. What do you think has to improve? At its core. Um, I mean, I think the earliest, most immediate to get it done in the next five years, um, it's identifying the students who are most likely at risk to not graduate and having comprehensive plans and supports for those kids in their school. Finding the schools that have the lowest graduation rates 
and investing in supporting those students in that school. Right. And if, if we um, paint with a broad brush, we would say the instruction in those schools yeah. might need to be improved. Yep. Right? Teacher and so, student relationships. Right. Yeah. So one of the the big goal, I think, in this plan to get to the 90% and the 70% for elementary students, it says efforts are underway to strengthen instruction in every major subject area. Improving instruction district-wide is part of our commitment to equity. I mean, you and I agree with that. But my question is, how? How does that happen in a district of 361,000 students, 30,000 teachers? teachers? You know, when when we were principals in schools with between 30 to 50 teachers. Yeah. I mean, was the instruction the same in every classroom? Yeah, no. Of course not. I mean, you know... it varies by by classroom within a building. It varies from neighboring schools. It varies from, you know, the west side, the south side, or the north side. So my question is, how will the district get there? I mean, I love the goal, but, yeah. I mean, boy, I, oh, boy, I can't imagine how this is going to happen. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think there's pieces to that, James, that maybe needs to just be – First off, this is also a very attractive document, some really wonderful images in it. Infographics. Infographics. Yeah. Sorry, that's the word. <laughs> images, clip art. Um, but more of maybe like more of a logic model representation to where – so when you're speaking and saying those things, I assume like, well, obviously you can't ensure that every single teacher is performing at the highest level all the time. But the easiest way to do that is high-quality principles. Well, what's the district need to address with do to address principles. And then you can pull that back a step and say, principal retention, principal super, who's supervising the principals, the network chiefs, what can they be doing better to support the principals and the teachers? I think that this document can maybe, I think all those pieces are in there. They talk about in here how they need to address principal retention. Um, They set a goal of uh, turnover at 9%, which is, I think, like half of what it is now, though you're usually around 20 to 25% principal yeah. turnover. Yeah. So um, I'm sure that's part of it. Um, well, it's a puzzle. I mean, all the pieces connect together. There you go. My question, again, with with uh, teachers and improving instruction in every major subject area, they're talking about a universal curriculum that they're going to offer to schools so they're gonna, in three years. Yeah, ago. you've talked about that uh, uh, You've been wondering about that for a while. Yeah. So this is, the, to my knowledge, the first major urban district in the country to think about a universal curriculum. So it would be something that will be developed. They had an RFP for it. Um, you know, it probably will be a publisher. Uh, we'll work with the district to... You think they'll bid on that contract or no bid? No, I think it's going to be a bid. Joking. Be, be a bid. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're going to bid, bid for it. But... You don't want to go to jail. But the, yeah, so you should sure. bet on it. Okay. Yeah. No kickbacks. So um, schools that opt into it if they want to. So that's one part. And, you know, I've heard district leaders talk about equity in that regard. So you you have a lot of mobility of children. They go from one school to the next yeah. school year. And there's not consistency in the curriculum. And the kids are just, you know, really confused about what's happening. Yep. So I, I get that. Um, but if we're not making principals use a curriculum, which they are not, mm-hmm. that's a good thing to do too as well. Um, what's it going to look like? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing would be, I mean, they talk about training every pre-K to three teacher 
to deliver high quality literacy instructions, centers, um, books at the kids level. That's like, that's a big lift for a principal to do in their building. Yeah. And to think about at scale, I mean, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just, for my sure. goodness, for sure. that could be the only, that could be the only goal in this whole plan. And they could spend five years working yeah, on and that. And you and I would applaud that goal. Right? Absolutely. Um, right. it, it is good, though, to see um, a lot of language in here about early childhood, primary grades, not only because we know that that's the right investment and it works, but it does seem like in the district, a lot of times we're dealing with the most urgent problem, which is high school. You're concerned about these young men and women dropping out, not going to college, having these panics when they're taking these national exams like the SAT and the ACT and their scores are bad, right? And so we're trying to do triage instead of investing in early childhood and sticking with it for a long period of time. Yeah, and the district is doing that. So they are, that's one of the goals in this plan. Um, you know, statewide, there was a study done last year, 24% of children enter kindergarten ready, quote unquote, <laughs> whatever that means, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. it's, you know, letter sound recognition, right. knowing your, your name, I remember that. et cetera. In CPS, it was 22%. So we weren't far off the state. The goal for the district within five years is 50%. So they want to more than double it. Yeah. How they're going to do that, I think, is through this really vast expansion of pre-K. Free for everybody. Right? Uh, for four, yep. Four-year-olds first. Yeah. Um, they're opening the goal in this, in the plan is 500 new classrooms wow. in the next five years. It's amazing. And I think in this coming year, boy, there's like over a hundred, uh, not quite, uh, many schools. I know a school that's getting four new classrooms, many schools that are getting multiple classrooms. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see that begs the question, Nate, you know, you open, let's say it's 80 next year. That means you need 80 new preschool teachers and teachers aides you always have multiple adults in a classroom for pre-k and you have to have a room that has a bathroom and yet there are all these varying requirements i work with a principal in cps who's getting pre-k next year additionally the pre-k positions and other positions she's going to be hiring 20 staff members this summer 20 it's a lot, James. It's a busy summer. <laughs> it's a really busy summer. <laughs> That's how many I hired in five years. So I, I love the pre-K. Um, you know, our kids might be too late for the free pre-K. I don't know. Gosh, they better you know? hurry up. <laughs> so, Save me a lot of money. Um, you know, it's 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 a good program. Again, the proof's in the pudding, though, and we'll see how the applications work. Yeah. So for a neighborhood family, do they get to go to their neighborhood school? Uh, you would hope yep. so, but that has not always been the case. Um, yeah. In the past couple of years. Yeah. Cool. How about you, Nate? What did you uh, see in this plan that yeah. stood out to you? Well, so I, I, you had you had a strong analysis, James. I'm, I'm going to endorse your thoughts. So I'll hit this first one quickly. Um, so a lot of things in here about us just being thoughtful about like what an early college ethos looks like and what are some ways that we can set students up to start experiencing components of college before they get there, thus increasing the likelihood that they go and experience success, right? Uh, one of the one of the things I hear from higher ed folks is that when kids get to college, they're not ready for just the complete change in environment. And the faculty at a university also aren't pedagogically trained to deal with kids who aren't ready for their environment, right? They're researchers and academics. They didn't, they didn't do, th- you know, 
30 courses on how to deal with moody adolescents and they don't know what RTI is. And, sure. and so, it's, so it's a bad match, right? So some of these early college ethos things that I see peppered throughout this plan are just a real big press on um, dual credit and dual enrollment courses. CPS really trying to push up the amount of exposure students have to college credit courses, including getting them on the city college campuses. So that's huge. Uh, you mentioned earlier, um, I'm drawing a blank, the early college and career credentials metric is something that CPS has been uh, pushing, which essentially says that it's it's evaluating the percentage of students who graduate having passed an AP course, um, taken a dual credit or a dual enrollment course, done a series of things that show that you might be college ready. Um, and then back to your point of ambitious goals, um, they set a really ambitious goal for percentage of students who meet standards on the SAT. So they said 50% by the end of this plan. And it's 25 right now, according to my number. So, um, so doubling that, that would be wonderful. They would be vastly outperforming the state if they were doing that. Hmm. So let's hope they hit it. Hmm. So that was my quick one. My second one that I think we can talk a, a little bit more about that we've already mentioned uh, are these conversations around equity. Um, what I was hoping, James, was that there would be a part in this plan where they get specific about the problem and own it, talk about some of the steps to achieve it. And I saw a little bit of that here. Um, could have been more, but I saw a little bit. And, and I'll point this piece out. They specifically said in here that there's a strong need to elevate the outcomes of boys of color. Um, black, Latinx boys. And they said, we will know that by three things. Their increased graduation rates, their increased college enrollment, and their improvement on their academics, right? They didn't say what those were, which I, I would have liked to have seen that sort of extrapolated out um, the graduation rates for those demographics, the average SAT scores for those demographics. And I would have liked to have seen a corresponding goal. Um, we, we, that's public information. We could find it, but you're saying it's not in the plan. It's not in the plan. Yeah. Um, do you want? Can you find it for me, James? Well, the website's down again. Maybe other hits. Ah, no. Um, but I, I appreciated that they that they named that right. So I mean, some of the things that you see people try and push back on CPS on is when they talk about their gains. They say, "But remember, we we have some gaps that are actually growing." Over time, and while the whole district might be improving, it's not improving for everybody. Yeah. Right. Um, they talked, uh, well, it, and they actually used some language in that section, James. I think I saw it. I'll try and flip to the document and find it. But they specifically said something like, this will be our biggest investment. Hmm. Right. What do you think that means? Well, I think it's a, you know, it's a whole... I don't know if it's investments, right word, or focus. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, teacher salaries are the biggest investment that the district <laughs> is making by a long shot. Um, yeah, you know, I wondered, like, you know, Dr. Swinney's uh, department is growing and, and the work they're going to do and how they're going to spread that. Yeah. Um, you know, to get to 90% graduation rate, you have to address... Uh, you know the, yeah. the the student subgroups that are that are not at that level and yeah. 
Um, I think it is African American boys, uh, yeah. and, and they state they state that in the in the plan. They do, and I mean, they I believe it says I'm looking in here. But I believe it says something along the lines of like we will put additional resources to these underserved schools. And I also like to that I I struggle with this language sometimes, um, but when you talk about a school that it's not meeting outcomes that would be deemed sort of socially acceptable sometimes you use language that makes it seem like it's the fault of the students or the teachers there right you call it a struggling school um, but they specifically um, tried to sort of veer away from that language and talk about underserved i saw that word used a couple of times which means that those of us who hold the resources are not serving them and we are responsible to bring those resources to these students and serve them appropriately right so I liked that that was in there. Um, and, and again, back to the, the other point that I, uh, I discussed earlier about not just doing triage, but talking about early response when talking about um, black boys, Latinx boys. One of the specific things they said, yeah, they talk about mentoring for high school students, access to AB, AP courses, IB courses. But then they specifically said early childhood literacy early childhood interventions and supports behavioral um yeah which will pay off in uh, 15 years and and we should care that much right yeah. like i'm investing in my yeah. parents invest in their child they don't wait till their child's 16 to start caring about them right um so that was all good um yeah what about things that uh were missing <clears throat> yeah so or questions you have so one thing that i thought was missing is talking about college completion lots of language in here about college access enrollment enrollment 78 percent is the goal i think getting more kids to enroll in college immediately afterwards um we have had two guests this year james who i would call experts on this concept of college and college completion specifically how do you get urban students to enroll in and experience success in college and you know um i think there was a very deep and profound statement made by Alex Seaskin on our podcast where he just said like, yeah, there are a lot of things we can be talking about, about the future and about careers, but until black boys are going to and graduating college at the same rate as white girls, like I'm having this conversation, right? And in Chicago public schools, we're only graduating 19% of all kids, of all kids yeah. right? Um, From college. Right. From college. So I, I would like to see us say, um, yes, it matters that kids enroll. Yes, it matters that they um, then go back for their sophomore year, because those are things that high schools are evaluated on, actually, is how many of your students yeah. persistence enroll in college and then how many go back for a sophomore year. Um, but then how many graduate? The thing we talked about offline a little bit is um, kids not finding the right match and then taking on debt yep. to go to school because it's, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You know, the 78% of that's the goal. And if you, if you make it one year and, you know, I've had students that did that. Grind it out. And then they drop out and then they have yep. no job and they have, I don't know, six or eight grand in, in yep. student loans. I mean, that's. It's incomprehensible to them how much money that is. Totally. I, I, you can go on when you look at schools' ratings on uh, the CPS website when it's back up. Um, you look at the massive drop um, that individual schools have of percentage of kids who enroll and then percentage who persist. So go back for the sophomore year and you see a 20, 30% drop just right at that point. Um, 
and this concept of um, what allows a child to persist through college is so incredibly nuanced that unless these students have counselors who are getting to know them and who are touching base with them over and over and over, um, there are going to be all these little things that that bump into them. It's not as simple as, are you passing your classes and are you going to class? Like you said, it's things like, um, I get gapped $7,000 to go to college. So, right, like I thought I was going to get a full ride, but when the financial aid package came through, my family has to pay seven grand. Well, I think I can make it work. I can go to class, I can work part-time, and I can yeah. pay those bills off. And like you said, maybe you can do it for a year, but that's not the college experience you expected or had hoped. Yeah, and Kyle Westbrook said if, if one little thing happens at home often, yeah, it's over. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. Um, and so we, we see that far too often. And so that should be on the colleges to be paying attention to, right? They don't get a free pass on this. They don't get to just say like, hey, listen, you're 18. You're here. Yeah, right. If you need something, you got to wave yeah. your hand and say help. But um, to a certain extent, CPS can be doing more, I think, to um, to educate students on those types of things. And then additionally, to continue to check in with them um, as they persist through college. So I would have liked to have seen college completion in there. You know, the counter argument, um, it's not an argument. Think about the 361,000 kids in CPS. <laughs> and then the district still has to think about yeah. the 20,000, 30,000 kids who graduate every year, or the, I don't know, 15,000 yeah. who enroll in college every year. Yeah. Um, again, I think they should. But my goodness, what a what a big job! Yeah, so it, it it absolutely is, and to put that in perspective, so nonprofits like the one that I work at um, have 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 some strong track records of ensuring that their students graduate through college, and um, you know we seventy nine percent of our students of, of high jump students go on to graduate college. Now we're dealing with a very focused set of of students. It's high performing low-income students, right? Um, but there are nonprofits in the city who work with, like, the academic middle kids, and there's still 60, you know, 60-plus percent of their kids go on and graduate college. And, and the secret is, you know, caseload management all the yeah. way through, high intensity, lots of check-ins. And so, I mean, imagine what the cost would be uh, for CPS to add five to 10 college counselor, college persistence counselors at every high school in the city. That would be so then insanely is, is the question right? is the, the challenge for the district to engage nonprofits mm -hmm. and possibly nonprofits that haven't been created yet yep. to assist in this. Yeah. I would, I would think that that's a very potential solution. There are a lot of neat organizations that, that I would encourage people to check out of this um, idea interests you. Um, one that I like that's a, a national model is called one goal where they literally embed themselves inside the high school and students take um, two years of coursework that are all about college access and college persistence, right? So that they can then, and then their one goal teacher teaches them how to get into college, right? And helps them manage that process. So that, that is a creative partnership way to solve the problem. Um, but keep in mind that that still is only barely moving the needle, Um and they're one of the larger ones here in the city. So it's not an oversight they didn't include a goal for college completion. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. Yeah, I just think that the district, um, I think that they would admit that they still 
have a lot they need to decide on, like what they what they think they're capable of doing, right? With their given limited resources and time. Yeah. Um, last thing then that I'll talk about, James, that I think was missing or that I had questions about, um, something that you've heard me say before when I just try to like put my leadership hat on. I think when you don't regularly share with your community the feedback that you hear from them about their um, biggest problems and concerns, I think you miss an opportunity to respond to them and to and to grow and move forward. Now, the district did a great job of a listening tour on this. I think they said something like 20, I don't know, like, or like 2,100 parents filled out surveys. I like did. The, you did. I did. Good for you. Yeah. Um, ignore everything James <laughs> said. Um, they, did good, they did a really good job listening, and they talked about things that they heard from parents. Um, but I, I still feel like when I'm on social media, when I'm reading the news, that there still is a prevailing sense of distrust between parents and Chicago public schools and central office leadership. It's much better than it ever was under the leadership of Dr. Jackson. I don't have these specific trust issues, right? I'm speaking just sort of in what I see and what I hear around the city that there is, that there's still broken trust um, due to a myriad of problems that have occurred and due to very personal reasons that some parents experience. Um, and I think that, you know, I think the district would be well served if they really tried to figure out specifically what those issues are that cause that broken trust and then create action plans in response Trying to, to that. Trying to close a school that was high performing? Yeah. Things like that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, is that the example that comes to mind for you? Always. When you I, think of... Always. When I... Like, if I had to say what would be one one thing for sure that this district that I love and support and trust personally that they could do that would break that trust and it would be it would probably be in the realm of like a school action that either closed schools or opened up a school right next door to my kids school you know something happening either way that directly impacts my community a couple things I'm, I'm curious with a new mayor starting in May. Yeah. And she talks about trust. We'll talk about that in a second. A lot of the vitriol distrust was with the mayor, mm-hmm. I think. Um, obviously, you know, he started off by um, cutting teacher mm-hmm. raises yeah. the first year, the 4%, teacher strike, closing Close 50 schools, 50 schools uh, special education scandal. And not that he was responsible for the the special education but the uh, bucks, per se. But the buck stops. It does. Uh, the so, you know, the union clearly, I mean, when they were supporting Preckwinkle for mayor, uh, a lot of it, a lot of the things I saw was uh, the donors to Lightfoot are tied to, to Emmanuel. To the like they yeah. still couldn't get off, you know, Emmanuel. I know. And so I wonder a year from now. If it will feel differently. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thought. Second thought is, um, as we were looking at this vision, it was released, I think, just before the election. Yeah. It made me think of Terry Mazzani, who was an interim CEO under Mayor Daly after Huberman. So Daly said he wasn't going to run. Huberman, you know, hit Got the road. Yeah. No, he didn't get fired. Uh, he, hit, he hit the road. Uh, so he knew he was going to lose his job, you know, when Emmanuel started. Mazzani took over. He was... Uh, the mm-hmm. Chicago Trust, Community Trust. He did a really wonderful plan. I looked at it the past couple of weeks of uh, his vision for CPS and Charles Payne uh, 
from UFC was involved in that. And he had like, you know, hundreds, a couple hundred people that helped on this plan. And then he left. And so yeah. it made me think um, when Mayor Lightfoot uh, got one yeah. a landslide, 74%, which was amazing, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, it was going to be all this over again. Um, yeah. And because Funny. she still wasn't sure about Dr. Jackson from what, what we read yeah. in the Sun Times and the Tribune, you know, I read this week that she was really impressed with Dr. Jackson. Mm-hmm. Of course, who wouldn't be? You, yep. know, you and I agree. She's just a really uh, brilliant woman. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, Lori Lightfoot talked explicitly about trusts. Yeah. And she said that CPS leadership would have to mend yeah. Uh, the relationship with the community and she cited NTA yeah. National Teachers Academy yeah she was out on the streets protesting the closure of that school so I just wonder and I assume Dr. Jackson will keep the job we'll see who knows right Yeah, it's just a media report but what that looks like you know do you go to the community and yeah I'm, I mean it's it's hard right <laughs> yeah, it's really what do we say Three, 360,000 students and you're trying to build the trust with their family uh, community members, teachers, it, it is absolutely hard. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the best you can do is try and figure out what are the three biggest problems that cause this broken trust and how can we just do everything we can to be responsive to that and point out, hey, we are trying, we are being responsive. Make make some promises around it that you know you can keep and keep them. So the point I hear you making is the last plan they did was a three-year plan, I think. It, yep. Trust was a big pillar yeah. of that plan. Yeah, they cited certain steps they're going to take. This plan doesn't really talk about trust in what they're going to do, right? To gain to gain the trust, they, they talk about communication. Yeah, they talk about integrity, and right. they you know, and they say in there, like I uh, I looked for the word trust in there, and they use it up front. They say we will earn their trust by communicating openly and consistently acting on community feedback. But I again, and this is all anecdotal, but the community feedback that I saw added in here <coughs> is not the community feedback that I see people pointing towards, and they talk about broken trust, right? Like they don't talk about in here. We heard from you. You don't want your schools closed. We heard from you. We bungled special ed four years ago, and you're still hurt by that. You know, obviously, they would use much more eloquent language than that. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Um, but but that seemed to be missing to me, right? Um, but again, we've got a, a really strong CEO who who I trust, and I think most of the city does, and I think she's just hoping that she can, you know, that that she can continue to live out her values and show her values that, you know, and can that, you imagine that, that meeting where, I mean, this is her dream job. She mm-hmm. stated that from a young age, she wanted to be the CEO of CPS yeah. and you have a new mayor and you have this, you know, meeting with them and, uh, like, to keep your, to keep your dream job, keep your dream job after yeah, a year. So. And where do you go from here? You know, like there's only two larger school districts in the country. Um, I think she'd figure it out. But, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I think you and I agree. We, we hope Dr. Jackson is CEO for a long time. And, yeah. And uh, there's stability mm-hmm. in the district. And, you know, I I think Mayor like Lightfoot is smart enough to understand that. I mean, she talked about the police superintendent waiting until after summer because summer, of course, is a time when there's a lot of violence in yeah. the city to make a decision. It's not necessary to make a decision on these things right away yeah um, so yeah and and again 
not to belabor the point, and then we'll move on. But but you go back down the record of the CEOs on these last eight years, and you've got resigned because of interfering with an investigation. You've got in Lying. jail. Yeah. yeah. You've got in jail. You've got prison. Prison, yeah. Prison very, and jail are very different. They are very yeah. different. <laughs> um, you've got uh, what happened before her? Fired. Brizard got fired. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and you have Janice who. Well, he didn't get fired. He moved on, I think. Was yeah, the, he moved on. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so you've got someone good and she's been here for a year. Let's give her some time. You just wonder why. He, boy, if, if there's a time machine, the mayor could go back in time and, and not pick some of the people he picked and, yeah. and trust an educator. And again, it's a certain skill set to be an educator, but also run a $6 billion organization. Yeah. I mean, those are very different skill sets. But And to know, totally, and to be able to assess in interviews who can actually do that job. Yeah. And who f- communities and families are going to like and not like. Because the we call her the CEO, but she's the superintendent. Yeah. And the superintendent. And superintendents don't last all that long. They don't. Period. It, yeah. This is not just a Chicago problem. Yeah. Right? Less than five years, uh, right. always. Um, right. It's not just a Chicago problem. So, um, so James, uh, we've been talking for a little while. Um, anything else you think that's that's pressing news that we need to hit on? Well, an elected uh, school board bill passed the House again. What, what Was it a tight vote? No. No. <laughs> 110 to 2. 110 to 2. 110 to 2. I think those other two folks feel like they're, you know. <laughs> no, they don't care. Crying. No. They don't care. So uh, this is not the first time this has happened. A couple of years ago, I think a similar bill yep. passed the House. Um, Senate change something in the bill as i recall mm-hmm. maybe you remember this better than i do yeah there was some fighting over uh so for those who aren't familiar um the city of chicago is the only district in the state of illinois that does not have an elected school board um and so there's been legislation saying that um we must have a school board one of the debates that's been happening at our state capital has been over um you know how are we going to draw up and carve up the city to create these districts where, rep, you know, to vote on who's the rep serving this district on the school board. So it wouldn't just be a citywide election. There'd be types of districts. And the argument is who makes those districts, Springfield or independent commissions or the city of Chicago? Yeah, I think it was Springfield that was going to determine. Yeah. The, so this bill calls, uh, it's not seven members of the board, at Nate. It's uh, 21. 21. That's more than seven. That's <laughs> yeah. 21 members. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people. I, yeah. I just, it's interesting. So uh, Mayor Lick Lightfoot came out saying the bill was a dead on arrival, basically. It just was too unwieldy. The, that was her word. Yep, unwieldy. Um, and I agree. I think 21 people is a lot of people to, yeah. uh, for any board. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think 50 aldermen is too many yeah. for Chicago, quite frankly. Totally. Um, so we'll see what happens. But you know the the bill also didn't have this board start next year. It's twenty twenty three. Yeah, so four, four years away. Years. Yeah. Um, so what are your? We've talked to some guests about this. Uh, Wendy Catton, of course, yeah. of a former uh, head of Raise Your Hand, was a supporter of it. Most Chicagoans, based on some referendums, some non-binary referendums, are in support. Yep. Of an elected school board, both Tony Preckwinkle, who lost the election, and Lori Lightfoot, who won the election are in favor of elected school boards. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I think what are your that, thoughts on it? Yeah, so, I mean, first off, I think that um, anytime you can increase democracy, it's a good thing, right? Um, so I'll, I'll start off saying that. Secondarily, I, I support the concept of uh, elected school boards, absolutely. Um, you know, I my only concern with us having a school board, and this will, and I'll segue into something here, is um, will it be more accountability or will it be less? Meaning, um, are we sure that these 20 people are really going to think about the whole city when they make their decisions? And are they going to be people who, who the buck actually stops with that are able to keep their eye on the ball and that are able to be accessible by the people? I, I, I want to see all of those things happen. Um, I found it interesting. I, I honestly did not see this coming, James. So I saw the bill. I figured the bill would pass. Overwhelming support it did. I figured everyone running for mayor, for the most part, would support it. The two main candidates did. But in the last month, we've seen both the Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune write an op-ed from their editorial board. And they agreed on the... Saying, no school board, no elected school board, don't do it. We saw Arnie Duncan, former uh, CPS CEO and um, secretary of the Department of Education, Tim Knowles, one of the more respected voices in Chicago education, both of them write an op-ed saying, don't do it. And columnists continue to do the same thing. And their main argument is basically this, is that um, the mayor is accountable to the public and education is one of the main things of which the mayor is responsible for. And she um, pays attention to the pulse of the people and isn't always going to do everything we agree with, but realizes that they're going to live or die with the success of the schools in their city. Would would members of the school board feel the same way when engaging in a volunteer effort that possibly is backed by a special interest group who funded your your race? And their and their argument is no, they wouldn't, right? Um, and I think those are all worthwhile points. But at the end of the day, we are one district in the entire state who decides that. This type of democracy is not for us. I, I don't think that's a good thing to do in a democracy. Yeah. So a couple of the, the op-eds talked about what we've talked about earlier in this podcast, some of the, the great things happening. Yeah. Uh, soon outcomes, et cetera. Yeah. You know, they don't mention <laughs> CEO in prison, former CEO in prison, another one. Not jail, prison. Prison. It's yeah. a big difference. Um Another one that resigned in disgrace for lying to Inspector General. Yeah. A special education scandal. A sex yep. abuse scandal that seems to have been covered up a little bit or just not really disclosed. And had been percolating for 20 plus years. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's recency bias. You know, it's things are good right now. Test but, scores are going up. But great. the past eight years, I don't know. You know, how yeah. do you measure the, the run of the appointed school board, um, which historically has been a rubber stamp for the mayor. And you talk about accountability. I guess that's true. But, I mean, Mary Emanuel closed 49 schools, then won re-election. yeah. He won re-election. So, yeah. um, good point. And, um, yeah, and, and I'm at the end of the day, I'm, I'm for it. Um, one thing that excites me the most, too, is, uh, the potential for some vigorous public debate around some of these issues, which is something we we did not see, at, you know, in wow. a, in an appoint in an appointed school board, right? Is that the board itself is not having opened? The yeah, they're not having open discussions 
where board member to board member that are that are opposing things and that are presenting to the board like here are the concerns and issues I have with these actions here are the recommendations I'm going to make that that are going to try and be a counterweight to that we we don't see that it doesn't mean it never happens yeah actually to that point uh, Mayor like Lightfoot talked about transparency with the board and having them do. Um, there's a lot of board work that happens before the yeah they're the big like day. briefing meetings yeah and so it, most districts that's also a public meeting and see yeah. it's not uh, they're meeting with one or two board members together um, to not break you know open meeting rules and so live streaming the, the board meeting just getting some of the discussion because clearly there is discussion. Yeah. Behind closed doors, but we never know about it. Yeah. As either former employees or citizens yeah. um, about, you know, some of those arguments. And I'm thinking if you had 21 members on a board, have you seen those board packets are like 150 pages? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of contracts in there. Like there's a new Aspen uh, student <laughs> data system coming out. I mean, how long would the debate are have been about, about that? <laughs> yeah, do we want to hear about this forever? Yeah. Um, I assume it's not a paid position. I, I don't yeah. know that for sure, but. Um, it's a lot of work, which, so. which is, which I have an issue with. I think we should pay these board members. A lot of smaller districts do that because that gives people an opportunity to say like, who wouldn't have put their hat in the ring to say, I will. Right. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, if it's not a paid position, you're going to get people who are special interest backed or who are independently wealthy and have got nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. So the, I mean, the parallel, which people cite a lot is the Los Angeles school board yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. Um, there was $144 for every vote cast, $140 spent on advertising and things. Um, that was pro charter union spent $81 for every vote they received by teacher union back candidates. So That's in LA, you had major funneling, you <laughs> had charter backed candidates and you had union backed candidates. Yeah. And those were the two main groups. I believe it would be the same thing in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and that's you know, that's a concern. Yeah, um, I think it, it's it's going to happen. So let's you know get used to it. But but know. let's get someone on the pod who knows a lot more about this yeah. than we do um, and can shed some light on these things. Um, if you're listening and you know who that would be, let us know. Right, um, James is good catching up with you. Good see you, man. Fun talking, and thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you around the horn. Thank you for listening to The Ed Couple. For more episodes, visit theedcouple.com and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Backing up the stuff, moving on to Tennessee. Everyone's getting famous with me. Your name up in the